This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I am the host of this show. My co-host Chris Gwaltney has a sore throat, and so he's not here. But I'm joined by Becca Saltzman. Hey, Becca. Hello. Do you go by Beck or Bex? Either one, actually. Okay. The only thing I don't go by is Becky. Okay. I won't call you that. I just saw you're like you've signed off on emails and things with Bex. So I'm like, should I have been calling you Bex this whole time? I just want to make sure. No, it's funny. A lot of people like online because of Twitter and stuff, call me Bex, but that name derived out of B-E-K-S. Ah, okay. Um, so my sister called me Bex with an S in college and some friends were like, oh my gosh, that's the raddest nickname ever with the X. And I was like, whatever, it stuck. So <laughs> yeah, that's where, yeah, that's where that came from. It is rad. Uh, so you're kind of, reco- we were talking about this earlier, but you're kind of recovering in some ways from a lot of uh, time indoors and some pretty gnarly weather. Uh, you were telling me that like a third of your town was, the power was shut down? Yeah, this was like two and a half, three weeks ago. So we had like the polar vortex. So I'm in Michigan. I had like yeah. the polar vortex, which is like not a normal thing we get. And then the week after that, we had an ice storm where it rained for two days and then turned into freezing rain. Mm. So everything in the whole city was had like a half an inch of ice on it. Um, so and your power was out for a while, right? Mine, like yeah, mine was out for like almost exactly 24 hours, but we have parents of like our kids were out for like four days. Oh gosh. So what I don't do know what do they, I don't know. happens in Michigan? So we had to work. So we like decamped to like Adam's parents' house Yeah. Um, in Grand Haven, which is like 30 miles west of us. And we just sort of drove through blowing snow and whiteout conditions. We just went really slow with our hazards on. Yeah. Um, I don't know what everyone else did who lost it for multiple days. Like, because mm-hmm. you kind of need to stay in your house to make sure it doesn't freeze. Right. Yeah. So you have to turn on the faucets and stuff so that they don't. Yeah. Yeah. We turn on all of our faucets and our basement is sort of open to the upstairs. We don't have a door. Uh And because it's underground, the actually like, especially the basement and the main level of the house kind of keeps it almost cave temps and above freezing. Okay. So we knew that we'd be okay as long as it came back on within like 36 hours. Yeah. Um, But we were a little nervous about the upstairs. So we just like ran all the faucets. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but none of our faucets sort of, except one, are on like an exterior wall, Yeah, which is also oh, something we kind of have to look for. Yeah. But our yeah. house is just, it was built in the 90s. So by then they're like, ah, yes, let's not they stick pipes <laughs> yeah. in a cold climate on an right. exterior wall. So yeah. yeah, no, it was like, especially with our kids at that point, they'd been out of school for like eight days and two weeks. Yeah. Like it was just like super stressful and mm. yeah, and we were... It's not like you need power to run a game studio from no, home and or anything. Our internet had gone out the day before, so we'd already worked an entire day tethering while prepping for yeah. like all these events in March. It's just like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to, uh, I guess I guess things are probably looking up a little bit now. I think it's, it's probably starting to warm up a little bit there. No. No. <laughs> okay. Oh no. 
<laughs> it's we're supposed to get some crazy cold front, which is it is oh, yeah. supposed to be warming up. Yeah. yeah, it's totally supposed to be warming up. Like we're supposed to see the end of this, but it's supposed to drop into like the negatives, yeah. like below zero temps, like on Sunday. And I don't know. I'm just I'm picking up my kids wearing like my snow pants and boots. I'm just like I'm done. I'm just <laughs> I'm gonna be in full winter gear in the grocery store, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, I will at least send good vibes your way, and hope uh, hope it gets <laughs> it's a little bit better. Uh, so you are um, one half, I guess you'd say, CEO, co-founder of Finji. How would you describe yourself? You're the work you do with Finji. No, that's exactly right. I'm yeah, I'm one half of Finji. So I run the this little small independent development and publishing studio with my husband Adam. Um, so I do kind of the business side of things. Um, so technically, I'm the CEO, um, and Adam's the creative director. Yeah. Um, so I kind of do a lot of the publishing, the biz dev, um, finances, legal, and then I also you tell him whether or not you can finance his the I, games he's working I on. And- <laughs> he's like, "Hey, babe, I want to do this." I was like, "Okay, well, you can have nine months." And then at nine months, he's like, "Well, I'm not quite done." Although it's a little bit before that, I'm like, "Well, when I told you nine months, I actually meant 18." <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'll just keep figuring this out. You tell me how much time you need and I'll figure out how to pay for it. There you go. Um, but yeah, I also do, um, I do do a bunch of sort of higher level design stuff with Adam on our internal games, the ones that we're building. Yeah. Um, so this would be Overland. So, yep. Yep. Other, uh, is there another, another game you're working on with him? Um, so Overland is the one that we're building like as a studio. Yeah. And then... We're currently working on two, well, technically three, because Night in the Woods I don't think will ever go away. Um, yeah. But Night in the Woods we launched two years ago, but we still have an iOS port that's getting worked on. Yeah, that's exciting. I know. It's going to be very cool. Yeah. Um, and then our technically our uh, the game that's probably going to come out before Overland is a kind of a smaller title. It's one of our publishing projects called Wilmot's Warehouse. And then Yeah. And what's that Overland, about? I've seen – I don't know much about that game. I've seen – you tweet about it, I think, but that's about it. Yeah. So you play like it's a little white square and that's Wilmot. And the idea is you are organizing his warehouse and you sort of have these sort of warehouse managers that you have to um, find the items as they, well, so you have trucks that are d- delivering things to the warehouse and you have to organize them. So it's this yeah. big giant open space. You can kind of organize it however you want, but you have to deliver these items to these people. Um, and there's time limits on some of the modes and not, and, um, it like, like, you know, as a grown up, you're like, I really should go through that crap sitting on that countertop. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you'll literally never do it. Yes. Wilmot sort that. of scratches. Yeah, yeah. It scratches that itch. Like I'm going to clean out the junk drawer, but I won't do it. But you can sit down and play Wilmot's and you're like, ah, yes, I cleaned that junk drawer. <laughs> but you literally didn't do anything. Your yeah. house is still a mess, but like that satisfying feeling of like cleaning something up or in like Animal Crossing when you're like rearranging furniture. Mm-hmm. Like that's how I feel when I play Wilmot's, which is like yeah. super satisfying. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, it's really funny and cheeky and it's, yeah. like, it's very fun. And have then you played like, a, a Donut County? I'm just curious. I have. Uh, Which makes me yeah. think, sort of maybe the opposite of that, but like in Donut County, there's this, it's sort of satisfying just to like rid the screen of absolutely everything as, mm-hmm. as your hole gets bigger and bigger, you know? Well, but, it was similar yeah. in Katamari. 
Yeah, like, sure. Uh-huh. How much of this can I clean up? Right. Yeah. Um, just roll that ball around forever. Um, I sometimes think about that with my house, like just not even looking. I guess it's sort of that's like would be like a Marie Kondo kind of thing, but maybe not as emotional. But I guess Marie Kondo tells you to say goodbye to things, which I think is kind of weird, or it can't be. Uh, but but just going through my house and like, what if I threw away all my books? Like I probably wouldn't. It probably wouldn't change my life at all. Like there's a few of them I would be disappointed maybe later on that I threw away, but you could, but I feel like if I just committed to it, I could go and like declutter everything and throw a bunch of stuff away. Maybe not all my books, but certain things. And I wouldn't even miss them. Well, I'm so, I don't like stuff. Yeah. Like, um, I have a lot of friends who I just call them like my Pinterest friends Mm -hmm. where like they have these super cute houses and their stuff matches. And I look at them like, wow, that'd be great. But then I look at like, they have stuff on their mantle. I'm like, oh, that's stuff I'd have to dust. (laughs) Yeah. Like I just can't do that. Like I have lots of artwork in my house Uh and I like, I've, you know, I'll put carpets down on like my wood floors, but the idea of matching my pillows to my carpets. Yeah. Like I just can't do it. And that's not like stresses a stresses you out. Uh, like the, the idea that I would have to take time to right. do it. Uh-huh. Like it's the time part of it is like, right. gosh, I would have to spend cycles on that. Yeah. And I just can't do that. Like yeah. I, instead I like, I focus more on like, uh, I have furniture that I really like that's really comfortable and it's in like bright colors. And like mm-hmm. most of our cycles are literally on, we're going to get really pretty artwork and I'm going to frame it. I'm going to stick it on the wall and that's where I'm going to spend my money. There you go. It's putting, yeah, cool art on yeah, the wall. I like that. Um, but my problem is paper. I would do anything for no one to send me another piece of paper in the mail <laughs> because yeah. I can't go through it. It like, that is actually a stressful thing for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh God, I have to open that stuff up. Yeah. And then what do I do with it? Like right. I have, do I have to have a shredding machine for this? It has sensitive information on it. Why did they send me this? <laughs> yeah. yep. I totally signed up for email statements and I'm still getting paper. Oh yeah. It doesn't go away. It's oh. really, yeah. And it's my job and I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. hate it so much. <laughs> yeah. I guess he signed on for that, that, that part of the business. Well, uh, the business part, but also like the personal part, like I take care of all the budgeting and finances just for like our personal family. Oh, right. Yeah. So like all of that paper is mine mm-hmm. and like it, the paper drives Adam crazy. I'm just like, I will do it. I promise. There's currently two piles of paper in the office on the floor in front of the whiteboard and Adam keeps stumbling around it. And I'm like, every time in my brain, he like kicks it. I'm just like, I'm sorry, Adam. Yeah. And I can see him sort of like, look at it and sigh. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know what you're thinking right now and I'm trying really hard, but just, I need you to ignore that until April. Oh yeah. I know that exact (laughs) feeling because my wife does most of our finances and, uh, and I, I'm the same one. Like, and I think just in general, I, she's much better at getting rid of stuff and like decluttering. Like she's got that skill. Um, I have a little bit of hoarder in me, like, and I have to work on it. It's like, I have to work it getting rid of stuff I don't need. Like I fantasize about it. You know, like I said, I could throw away all my books and I wouldn't care, but I would never, I could never like actually get over that hump and do it. Mm -hmm. Like I was going through my attic the other day, just trying to, um, moving some stuff in there and trying to clean out some stuff out in there that we didn't need anymore. And I found like all, like three or four binders of CDs. Oh, I have that in the basement, just sitting in a bin. Yeah. And it's like, I, 
I know I was looking through them, like flipping through them and sort of reminiscing about all the old albums I had in there um, back when we used to listen to CDs. And, uh, and I'm sitting there going like, I'm never, I'm never going to listen to these. No, I mean, I'm never, I don't even have a CD player that's worth like putting them into. Like we have a little jam box, but no, no kind of stereo CD player that would have the kind of sound I would want to play a CD in anyway. Like we listen to most of our music on a, like a Bose, you know, a uh, little portable speaker, Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> so I'm never going to listen to them, but I couldn't bring myself to like donate them or get rid of them. Yeah. Mine are just sitting, I have like a bin in the basement where it just, some of it's like old junk picked up from like Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if you can get a hold of some of this stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like so right. weird Midwest obscure mm-hmm. that I was like, I'm just going to ignore this. Cause it, of all the things that doesn't take up that much space. Yeah. But like for years I lugged around and this is, oh gosh, this is so dumb. And so eighties girl. Uh, <laughs> I had a Barbie collection in the box. Yeah. Like, because both of my grandmothers collected Barbies. So like yeah. I just inherited this really stupid collecting thing like, and like like sealed in the box is that what you mean? yes wow. yeah and I was like into it until I was like 15 or 14 it uh-huh. was the younger I was like middle school and then I was like I just didn't care anymore but I kept getting dolls for literally every holiday until I was like 25 from from family members like yes as gifts? okay yeah and then my grandmothers would like offload these Barbies that they had in the box and I'm just like so I had these Rubbermaids that my mom put this whole collection in these Rubbermaids so they wouldn't get the boxes destroyed. Yeah. And like at some point, I don't know, 2005, 2006, she like showed up with a van to like my apartment with these yeah. boxes of Barbies. <laughs> wow. And I was like, what? And one of them also was like my deconstructed Barbie dream house from like 1991 that she'd like taken wow, apart and yeah. put in this like uh-huh. four foot long Rubbermaid box. I'm just like, what the hell am I going to do with this stuff? <laughs> because yeah. like just looking at them stressed me out. Like I'm never going to sell them on eBay. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to have somebody else do this. So I carried those things are around they, until 2016. Are they worth something? I mean, like- So I have, I finally did the work in like late 2015, early 2016 when we decided to move. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to get rid of this. So I looked up all of them and I actually did have two of them that are worth like five or six hundred dollars. Oh, nice. And like I could put it up on like eBay tomorrow for like 400 and the damn thing would, excuse me, the darn thing would like just disappear <laughs> entirely uh-huh. because that would be a deal. Right. Um. So I actually offloaded one of them just to see if that was true because uh-huh. I had two of this particular doll and I was like, oh. Well, I'll hang on to one of these. Yeah. I'm just going to put this one in a box uh, and just hang on to it because who cares? It's not like one Barbie box is not going to take up that much space. Right. And someday when I'm dead, some one of my grandchildren is going to find this thing. I'm just going to put a little note on it and be like, you can probably sell this. For they the, were like for a decent hard, amount of money. Yeah. yeah. Hardly any of these were made. Yeah. And it's tied to like a Disney property that's like one of the best old Disney movies ever made and only very few of these were made. So more than likely you can offload this. (laughs) There you go. But I only held on to it as an experiment. Mm -hmm. I don't care. If you want to throw it in the trash, fine. Yeah. Yeah. My mom is like, she saves, she has apparently saved like everything from my childhood. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Mine did uh, too. (laughs) And like, she will perennially come over to our house and be like, all right, I brought your, you know, 
like it'll be like boxes of like toys or like rollerblades that don't even work anymore. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like really, I, it would have been better for me, mom, if you would have just thrown this away. But yeah, uh, I got rid of all of my stuff, but my mom kept was the paper. So we yeah. had to make, so I'm one of six kids and we had to make senior books uh-huh. with like our entire academic career in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. But all me and like, we were all athletes. So in small towns, so what did which you meant, play? So like I, everything? yeah, basically. So I played basketball. And, and this then, is in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was also a competitive cheerleader. Okay. And there's, I fell into that because as a five foot nine, sixth grader, uh-huh. I was cut from the volleyball team. Really? Even though I could serve. Okay. This is what happens when you grow up in small towns, when you have the wrong last name. Okay. And the coaches <laughs> the coaches grew up with your brothers. Uh-huh. And they really didn't like your brothers. Mm. You sort of got like, sort of like the older brother stink yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so I got, yeah, I got cut from the volleyball team as like, yeah, a five foot nine, 12 year old. Yeah. Which is insane. It's not very smart coaching, I feel like. I got asked now, even now, are you, what do you tell you? Are you kidding me? You didn't play volleyball. I was like, no, I got cut. So <laughs> I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I it totally did. And when yeah. I got cut, I was like, well, they have cheerleading. I can just watch boys basketball for another season. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So I did cheerleading um, because it was like a competitive sport in Michigan. Okay. And then right. I did track and field in the spring. Okay. What'd you run? Um, I did 300 hurdles. Okay. Um, I, my other running event was anything we needed to score points in. Okay. <laughs> so, so you're pretty, you're pretty athletic. I imagine. That. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I ran the mile sometimes I jumped okay. on relay teams. I often ran the open four and the open eight. Yeah. Um, nice. I did the 800 in the mile and the four oh, sometimes. So nice. That yeah. was like my brother's territory. Yeah. Um, and but, I quit in high school after a while, actually, because I wanted to focus on soccer. So soccer was my thing growing up. Yeah, they started girls soccer when I was a sophomore, but I would have not been able to do track. Oh, right. Yeah. I couldn't do both. Yep. Um, which is lame. I was like, dang, you should have put soccer in the fall. I totally would have played soccer. Yeah, I can yeah. run forever. Yeah. Um, I was a better runner than I was a soccer player. I should have just run, but I didn't enjoy it. Mm. But, well, I um, also threw yeah. shot put and discus, which, I mean, you've met me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not exactly built for that sport, um, but I was a... I danced for like. Since you were I was basically three. the whole track team, like kind of. You kind of carried them all on your shoulders. It sounds like. <laughs> well, I was I was the field event girl. Yeah. Um, I had the, I ran with two. Well, my my school was really small, but we had a weirdly super talented track team every okay. year. Yeah. So like, there's a girl older than me who went on to be like an all American. Oh wow. Um, she just. She was one of those girls who's like, I'm just going to go break the two-mile record today. But she was like a 400, 800 runner. Mm -hmm. And she just went out and broke it. Jeez. Um, And then... That's frustrating. Yeah. (laughs) She's that talented. She was amazing. Yeah. um, And still is amazing. Um, And like, I I could talk about her all day long because her story is incredible. And um, she had this crazy injury as a sophomore in high school. But there was also like a sprinter that was the same age. Um, uh-huh. That was also really talented. And there was a, a distance runner a year younger than me that was super, super talented. And even my brother, like on the boy's side, like one of the guys we went to school with um, who was two years older than me ended up being a decathlete at like, 
I think maybe a D1 school. My brother ran at a D1 school. Two of my brothers ran at a D1 school. Like we just had a lot of really talented runners. Yeah. Um, for how small our area was. Right. Yeah, um, that's cool. Usually pretty terrible basketball teams though. Yeah. <laughs> just awful yeah. every year. But you yeah. played basketball. Were you were you good at basketball? Um I was better on defense. Yeah. We'll just go there. Okay. I I was so I was really tall, really young. So they just sort of put me a center because they assumed I was going to be this like six foot two monster. Uh huh. But then I stopped at five foot nine. So, oh, I was so just you got like, to five foot nine in middle school and just stalled out. I was I was five foot nine at age eleven. <laughs> wow. So I was enormous, but yeah, I was I was a shooting guard that was never given time in practice to learn how to dribble. Yeah, yeah. I had this great outside shot, and I was faster than nearly everyone else on the team, but. Uh, my dribbling skills were terrible because in fifth grade, they just stuck me down low. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I had to play center all the time and I was like 30, 40 pounds underweight. Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, this (laughs) sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, my senior year, I just did football cheerleading instead because I was like, I just, I just can't be injured anymore. Like I'm tired of dislocating my thumbs and being covered in bruises for eight months. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it would start in like June. It's like June through November. It's like a six months, just head to toe bruising. So do you, uh, do your kids play sports now? Mm, kind of. They're six and eight. So okay. they're kind of like slightly before. Before it gets um, serious and stuff. Yeah, competitive yeah. sports. So both my boys dance, actually. Oh, cool. um, yeah. Both of them expressed interest really young, which is really fun. And then both of them swim. Okay. But like... My oldest one just finally turned the corner on like, oh, I actually am not bad at this. Yeah. Um, but not on a team or anything yet. Right. Um, and my oldest one wants to learn how to play basketball, which I'm super excited about because both Adam and I play and I'm like, I will totally teach you how to do this. Nice. That's cool. Um, yeah, I was going to ask if Adam was in sports too. I, it's just interesting to me because there's sort of the stigma about game designers, right? Of not being into sports and, and that kind of thing. But it's cool number- to hear that that, you know. That you guys uh, don't fit that stereotype. No, we don't fit the stereotype. Also, it's totally BS. Um, Like, if you go to any event, like, Mm -hmm. there's, like, super athletic kids, some that came to athletics late, lots of distance runners now, or CrossFitters. Yeah. Um, But also, like, the number of game devs that we know who have toured professionally with punk rock bands. Yeah, that's true. Like, famous ones. They're just, Uh like... Hmm, that's an odd overlap. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I didn't. Who's someone famous that I might know that's toured with the famous punk rock band? Um, I think it's Bennett Foddy was part of Cut Copy or something. Was he really? We had him. Adam he was one of our this. first guests on this podcast, so that's interesting. Adam, am I right on that? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Adam says I'm right. Yeah. Um, and now, yeah, he's I'd fun have to, to talk to about sports. Yes. Yeah, Bennett's awesome. We had a great conversation about how he posts uh, pictures of athletes during the Olympics after they've, like, failed to medal. <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah. Ugh. But I don't think he does it to be mean. It's like he's just uh, fascinated by that intense emotion that comes from competing at the highest level, you know. Yeah, mine's opposite. I'm fascinated by the way people's bodies move. Yeah. Um. Well, he must just be too general. with like quap and everything. Yeah, with the stuff he makes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. 
so uh so you're saying uh your kids are playing they're they yeah. swim and they're interested in playing basketball when did you mm-hmm. and uh did you and adam meet at an early age um pretty early okay. um we didn't go to the same school we both grew up in michigan yeah um and we met he was 16 and i was 17 okay is when we met wow um we were okay ugh. <laughs> I've never actually told this story on a podcast. I've just told it sort of oh, in passing, now. usually when slightly tipsy. Yeah. But um, he was my Spanish pen pal in high school. Okay. So my teacher, my junior year, because I'm a year older than Adam. Like, so my so teacher, my junior year. when you say Spanish pen pal, Adam's not No, I'll get there. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> so my teacher, my junior year, um, changed schools my senior year and mm-hmm. went and taught at the school that Adam went to. And one of our assignments was to write Spanish compositions to yeah. another Spanish class in Michigan. Okay. And I pulled Adam's letter out of a pile um, because the letter was short, but the art was good. And I was like, oh, so writing the Spanish <laughs> letters was like a, t- like a 10 minute process. Yeah. Like whatever. I have to write this stupid letter in Spanish and about so many different things using vocabulary. But then we would spend like, two or three weeks building these stupid construction paper things mm-hmm. that my Spanish teacher just didn't stop us from doing. So she would have <laughs> to, she would have to send this crap in like, like a box. Yeah. Um, well, I would have put a stop to that as the yeah. teacher. <laughs> oh, it was, it, well, it kept getting worse and worse. Like we kept trying to outdo ourselves off of the last card yeah. that we sent but I mean, I was a Spanish four, like in kind of like honor Spanish at this point. And there were only like nine or 10 of us in the class. And we just like kind of taught ourselves Spanish because we had already gone to Spain. We'd gone to Spain together and we were like, like this extra class at the back of like a Spanish three class because there weren't enough of us to have a full class by ourselves. Yeah. So we were doing like upper level Spanish stuff, speaking in Spanish, like almost the whole class, but also while making yeah, like these huge like fourth third or fourth grade like construction paper things like which i like models or no like like imagine like you're gonna build like in a person and you use those like those metal things that you stick through paper that allow like a joint what is brads like brads yeah yeah but like like one of the ones i sent adam was just a person with like construction paper hair and Uh all of its pieces moved, including its hands and feet. (laughs) And then like, I wrote the letter on its torso. (laughs) I'm like 18 years old. Yeah. Like I'm a, I'm a grown up person at this point. Uh And I'm just sitting in my Spanish four class screwing around with all of Miss Zemper's like art supplies. Yeah. So he got this torso letter and was like, I got to meet this. Uh, well, so, okay. So this is 1998. Uh So this is when like Yahoo chat rooms existed and stuff. Yeah. So I, we like, after the first exchange exchange of letters, we all exchanged, um, email addresses. Yeah. And then I was in that Spanish classroom like three hours a day because I had Spanish in there. I had journalism in that same classroom with the same teacher, but I was also Miss Upper's teacher aide. So I kind of just screwed around on the internet a lot my senior year. Um, And Adam had this like independent study learning Java or something, which 
meant he also was in the library screwing around a whole lot his junior year. So we used to chat in like a Yahoo chat room and email back and forth during school all day. Yeah. Um, and then we were like, well, let's meet up. Let's have our two classes meet up. Um, but then his football team or something went to some like playoff game in Detroit and his mom wouldn't let him go. Yeah. Because he wasn't allowed. He was like a new driver. He was not allowed to drive to Detroit. So it ended up being at our like Spanish class meetup. It was just like my class was available, but only Adam was coming from his class. Uh, because so, he wasn't allowed to go to the football game. Right. Exactly. Okay. So we were fake. like, well, that's, that's dumb. Let's just meet up. So it ended up being kind of a blind date. Ah, okay. Where we went to the movies. Was there a sense like, so you guys are chatting on AOL uh, in this chat room and sending each other torso letters uh, on weird. <laughs> it sounds so horrifying. <laughs> I probably <laughs> have this. I probably have this sitting in the basement. Yeah. Because that is definitely a, oh, speaking of things you hold on to. That's worth keeping for sure. Yes. Um, letters you sent to your high school boyfriend before he was your boyfriend yeah. totally makes the cut. Was there like this sense of interest at that point? Like you, as you're chatting on AOL, I assume like you uh, d- didn't really know what each other looked like. Well, I mean, we had our school pictures. Okay. So like I had sent all, like my whole class had sent a picture. Cause like when you get the pictures, we just like cut one out and put it onto the letter or whatever and sent them out. Okay. Um, and I, it was probably my cheerleading picture. Cause I probably ah, got go. my football cheerleading. That's a, that's a winner right there. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's like me actually like in it, like those, they're straight out of the eighties cheerleading sweaters, uh-huh. like kind of big yeah, and yeah. puffy, but I had my skirt on. I was probably doing the splits Yeah, and it probably looks like my legs are like 15 miles long. I don't know. <laughs> I had a couple of these where I'm just like, I look oddly proportioned. Um, you know what they did at my, then, at my school, my high school growing up. I hope that no high schools do this. But it was awful. Uh, I, or I think it's awful. Uh, you voted on who got to be on the cheerleading squad. The whole school. That is so weird. And I have run into that before. Yeah. That's I'm, like the, that's the schools where they're not sports. I think, I don't think it was a sport. They may have because competed in some things, but. You couldn't vote on throwing backhand springs. Yeah. And the kind right. of stunting we right. did. Right. And they would do, so, and it was humiliating too. Like the way oh. they did the tryouts because they did the tryouts at a pep rally in front of the entire school. So That's everybody horrifying. went and watched and like, you'd have some, uh, some young women who would come out there and do these amazing, like, uh, tumbling runs. And, uh, and then the next person would come out and just be like, um, you know, ready. Okay. And do a clap and thing cheer, like, and not do any tumbling. And it's like, well, she, Compared to the last person, she surely sh- shouldn't make the squad, right? Like, if life were fair. Uh, oh, but it didn't crazy. matter because people just voted on, like, who was popular or who they perceived to be attractive or whatever. And obviously, like, high school boys are not going to be voting on skill. Um, no. And, uh, <laughs> and like, even, like, two, I knew tons of guys that would, like, boo people who went out there and didn't, you know, perform well or, or who they just didn't like. Um, it was that sounds horrible. evil. That's yeah. like the worst form of hazing. Yeah, I mean, it was evil of the students oh. to do it, but then I, I think back to it, and I'm like, God, the whole administration of the school like supported or Thought essentially created, okay. an, yeah, created an environment where this could happen, and didn't think it didn't seem to think anything of it. So 
Yeesh. Like our tryouts for cheerleading, I think they're like a week long, but we'd had like a week long of practice. So like all the girls who wanted to be on the cheerleading squad would have to show up for tryouts, kind of like a basketball tryout. Right. So you try out for a week. And then we would be divided up into groups of two or three, kind of depending on what team you wanted to get on. Mm -hmm. And then you had to create a cheer of some sort and then show all your skills. So you had to perform your cheer, but it was in front of like four uh, coaches. Okay. Just like. That's a lot more um, sensible. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't, nobody else was even in the gym when you did it. It was just the three of you and your coaches. Yeah. So if you totally botched something up, just your coaches saw, and then they scored you, like they would score you at a cheerleading competition, which is all like numerical value or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they had like points where like there was a cutoff. But I always felt really bad. My sister tried out, like when I was a senior, my sister was also super, super talented. She was like a high jumper, super athletic. But she tried out with both me and my best friend, who were kind of two, uh, we were basically like the captains. Yeah. Like kind of as far as skills, getting to the point of being very untouchable as far as like varsity cheerleading or whatever. Right. Because we've been doing it for so long. So my little sister, who's crazy talented, had to do the skills standing next to me and Steph. Uh And I think if my little sister had tried out with a different group of varsity cheerleaders, she would have made that squad. Right. But she tried out with me and stuff. And like to this day, I'm just like, I shouldn't. We did it because it was easy because we mm-hmm. could practice the cheer together. But I'm like, I should have made her try out with a different group. Yeah, yeah. Because like I really wanted to cheer that year with my little sister mm-hmm. yeah. and be on the same team as her. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, even now, it's been like, what, 18 years or something? You still think about it. <laughs> I do. I'm just like, yeah. gosh, yeah. I was on tra- I was on the track team with my sister and it was so amazing. Mm-hmm. It would have been so cool to be able to cheer with my sister. So you must still be close to her then. Super close. That's cool. Um, yeah, she's a little under two years younger than me. Yeah. And did they? I'm just thinking back to all these things in high school now that were weird. Did Did you have like school favorites and vote on all that kind of stuff? That's another like, thing that I think about. Best of, like, dancer. Yeah, like this po- super, mock elections. They were called mock elections. Yeah. Or, That's another um, thing yeah. that I think is like probably kind of unhealthy about. Like I think they still do that in a lot of schools today, and I'm like, well, it's usually like a senior class thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was m- most likely to something and I def I got best dancer. Oh, nice. So, well, that was good for, sounds like yours were like good for your self-esteem I mean, as opposed to some people. I get. was, I was classically ballet trained. Yeah. Like starting at age three. Oh, wow. So I think it was like by default, mm-hmm. like she's danced for a long time. Yeah. Um, but I also like did choreography for like the school play and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, oh, that's cool. Sorry, if I start talking about high school, it's just going to be like, ah, oh, you're one of those. <laughs> no, no that's interesting. I do want to make sure we like finish the the, the, yeah. the Adam story. So you guys are going to have to like edit out of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. I find all this stuff interesting. Uh, I haven't thought back to my high school days in a while. So that was, that was, uh, that was good for me. Um, <laughs> so you guys were, there was, so, so there was some interest. Yeah, we went on like a blind date. And then this and blind date, yeah. Yeah, which was not supposed to be a blind date, but it ended up being a blind date. And we went to see a movie, which in 1998 was not timely and very uncomfortable, but he also was not old enough to get into it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so because it was an R-rated movie and he yeah. was not yet 17. Okay. Um, and like the ticket guy, you could tell, like carded him, looked at him, could tell that he was on probably a first date and was just like, yeah, whatever, man. And like just sort of. <laughs> let him go in, Did him a solid. but we, 
we saw The Siege. Okay. Which is a movie about terrorism and um, sort of... Uh, is that Steven Seagal? Um, yeah, I'm maybe Bruce Willis. Siege. I think Bruce Willis is also in it. Okay. No, Under Siege is definitely Steven Seagal. Yeah. But the, the Siege. The Siege. And like, it didn't play well and it was super uncomfortable. Um, but I'm curious... I'm curious actually to rewatch the movie now because it's about torture and a whole bunch of other things. Like oh, it's interesting, yeah. before nine 11 yeah. and sort of everything that came out of that. And we were just a bunch of kids and had no uh, context. It was really, really uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, I've been meaning to actually go back and watch it now. Cause I'm curious what my adult eyes would yeah. think of that movie. Um, but yeah, we saw this movie and I thought Adam was amazing, but in the strangest way, which was, he talked so much and I was so shy uh-huh. <laughs> that I was like, this is the best date I've ever been on. Yeah. He's using big words. He's like really interesting to listen to. Uh-huh. And I am so nervous and I don't have to talk that much. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what won you over, huh? Please. Well, that was the beginning. And okay. I was like, he's really fun to hang out with. So we just kind of started hanging out. And then it was like, I don't know, a month later or something that we decided like, he's like, I made him actually ask me on the phone uh-huh. to be his, like for me to be his girlfriend yeah. because we're 16 and 17. You do that. Right. Um, so yeah, I have like the date and time that like oh. Adam asked me <laughs> to be his girlfriend. That's great. Which is very fun. Yeah. And we actually, we, we still celebrate the anniversary. Oh, that's awesome. More so than we celebrate our wedding anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Y'all have a neat story. I, I can appreciate that. That's cool. <laughs> It's really nerdy. And it always comes up when we're slightly tipsy in a bar. People are like, how'd you guys meet? And they're expecting like in a bar at a game thing in college. I'm like, we were Spanish pen pals. Spanish pen pals. And we chatted on AOL in the early days of the internet. Yahoo. I don't even know if AOL existed yet. It (laughs) was totally Yahoo chat. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And like my email was totally through Telnet at school. Yeah. I also had a Hotmail address, but yeah. Yeah. Have you uh have you heard of um you probably have of Hypnospace Outlaw? I do. Yeah, that's Mike Rose's thing. That's a publishing project that's yeah, coming yeah. out soon. Yeah, we just had uh, Jay Tholen who's working on that game, and oh, actually Zalavier nice. uh, Nelson too. But anyway, um, just made me think of that. You could you could probably have some fun playing that game and uh, reminiscing on the early days of the internet. Oh, your... Early days of the internet. The yeah, I'm not going to go into the dev story in that, but Adam and I have actually talked about it. Just like. They just created an entire internet. Yeah. I'm just like, I can't wait actually for it to come it's out. It's the weirdest. Uh, I, it's I it's coming the out right before GDC. Yeah. So I'm not going to be able to see this until, I mean, probably PAX East right. when I'm sitting there next to Mike. I'm just going to sneak over to the booth and be like, can I just sit here and watch this for a while? Yeah. But yeah, it's going to be, yeah. That's one of those crazy dev stories where you're just like, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Jay is a That's, really unique dude. Uh, he's a, uh, He's fun to talk to, um, that, and that project's so weird and ambitious, and I love that there's nothing like quite like it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so, so you guys met? At, did you know, like, when you met Adam, that he was like into video games and stuff? I, I'm oh, guessing God, you yeah. weren't. Were you into video games like growing up? Kind of. Okay. So yes, yes and no. Um, Adam. called me a closet nerd he was like i was just so excited i met this cheerleader and she was a closet nerd (laughs) yeah um which i was like i read you know i've I've always been really into reading but i 
especially in high school, just didn't tell anybody the types of books that I read, which was like, you know, I started reading Robert Jordan when I was in like seventh grade or something or sixth grade. Like I was really young. Yeah. Um, and just sort of like followed the wheel of time books forever. Um, anyone who follows those books earns their nerd cred, I feel like. Yeah. Um, but Video games, because I'm like one of six kids, which hasn't come up yet. I'm the fifth of six kids. Like we had video games in the house, like my whole life. We had like a P like we had a a PC in the eighties where like I got to play like basically shareware um, that my dad would bring home. Um, But like we had a Nintendo when I was super young and we got a super Nintendo, um, but we kind of stopped at super Nintendo Mm -hmm. because like, so in 1993, I was 12 and I was the fifth. So like my brothers were all getting into high school um, and we were all super jocks. So like we were never home playing video games right. kind of after 1994. Um, so like my brothers would come home when I was in late high school and would like literally play tournaments of Super Tech Mobile in like, you know, 1998. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like I kind of stop at Super Nintendo okay. and then I pick back up in like 2002 in college. But even then, like all of the form factors were kind of too big. Mm-hmm. And I had never moved like for the controllers and I'd never moved through 3D space. So it was like really frustrating to like sit down in your boyfriend's apartment with all of his friends. Uh-huh. And they're literally just making fun of you because you suck <laughs> so bad. Like what so, game were you talking? Were you, were you trying to play with them? Um, well, the so like the original Halo. Okay, yeah, yeah. With the dinner plate controller. Uh-huh. Um, we called those I gave laptops. It, oh, my gosh. I had to put it in my lap like a toddler. <laughs> yeah. I remember we had, I, like, these big Halo oh. tournaments um, when I was in college. And, uh, you know, it would be, like, this was before it was online, you know. So it was, like, cords. You would create our own uh, LAN in, like, my, mm-hmm. my college apartment. And we had cords running everywhere. And um, we'd always... It'd always be a fight of who, because we, you know, we had, everybody had one of those big controllers and then you, they came out with the S that was smaller mm-hmm. and more sensible. And so it was always a fight of who got stuck with what we, we called the big ones, laptops. God, I don't want the laptop. <laughs> uh, they were so, yeah. Yeah. They were awful. But anyways, so we had that and then we have a gate, we had a GameCube. Well, we, I'm, I'm saying we, but I didn't actually live in this apartment. Yeah. I just spent the majority of my life there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, so there was a GameCube. I think they had a PlayStation in there. They must have. Yeah. Um, and then there was, like, the Jet Engine Xbox. Yeah. The original <laughs> one, which was, like, the size of a briefcase. Yeah, yeah. Um, Those things were massive. I do remember And it that. was it overheated. I'm pretty sure it may have burned oh, something. Gosh. Yeah. I or, that. I don't know, they took it out of the case because it was getting too hot and they are afraid they are going to start a fire. Mm-hmm. Anyways... They made fun of me a ton on that, but then we also had like Mario Party, but any of the Mario parties where I had to go forward, I would just get stuck and I couldn't jump. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, it was just, it was super frustrating. So at a certain point I was just like, you know, peace out. I'm not playing. Um, and at that point they were playing so much um, Wind Waker and uh, oh, that was a great game. Uh, Smash, like mm-hmm. 2,500 hours of Smash that uh, I just sat there and watched like... And double dash, yes. <laughs> I did. Okay. So I was not bad at double dash because I could just sit in the back. Uh-huh. Um, I was a very good double dash partner because I could – I'm evil and I will literally destroy you with all of my uh, items. Yeah. <laughs> that is how – which is kind of payback for being so crappy 
when I tried to play literally anything else. But Adam was really cool and super sweet about all of this. He was never, he knew it bothered me to be made fun of so much about my issues with sort of moving through 3D space uh, that he went out and bought me a bunch of games to teach me how to play a 3D game. But kid games. So he (laughs) bought me... Yeah, he bought me Spyro. Uh-huh. Um, that was a big one. He bought me Spyro, and he bought me something else. Yeah. Did you have you tried the reimagined trilogy? Since no. Okay. That was recent. Yeah. I don't know. I've been in like dev. Oh right. Yeah. Dev launch, whatever. Yeah, but you're in lockdown mode. Unless it's unless it's playing my own games right now, or right. like in five minutes on a switch at a doctor's office. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of Mario Kart. Um. Or actually, I've been playing Smash with the boys too. But oh, yeah, nice. I, in general, just don't. I can't play a lot right now. Yeah, sure. Unless but you conquered your fear of three D space. It sounds like. No, I still very, suck. Oh, you still suck. <laughs> no. no, I absolutely suck. But I don't care if anyone makes fun of me anymore. Yeah, that's. Cool. Um, but I don't play. In general, I won't play um, unfinished demos in public. Mm-hmm. Um, and not because I'm going to get made fun of, but because I play them in such a bad way yeah. it's not even weird i'm even gonna like give me weird i play them wrong and i'm bad with camera angles sure. or cameras yeah. that i end up stuck in corners and i'll break your collision and crash your game <laughs> that's great well that's good for, for developers they it need to, is except literally on no floor. one no one's ever gonna find that one-off case and they get so embarrassed and flustered yeah 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 that i'm like listen you play it and I'll watch it. I'm real like I can see what's going on. Yeah. Just please don't make me fly this spaceship <laughs> through these ravines. Yeah, I will yeah. break your game. Yeah, it's funny. It is a weird thing to do sometimes, like uh just playing other people's like playing a game in front of the person who made it is just kind of can be weird in general, I think. But uh especially like if you know like especially when you have a sense of like, I know I'm doing this wrong, uh, and that's frustrating this person. <laughs> <laughs> who made it you uh, know? play a puzzle game in front of like some of the best puzzle game designers in the world yeah like i played english i think it's english country tune several years ago at the igf oh yeah, yeah. in front of uh steven lavelle uh-huh. who made it he's brilliant he's the guy that made uh steven sausage club yes and uh dude yeah. so brilliant like oh my goodness like i love his games but they terrify me. And he was sitting there and he's like, no, 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 just play it. And Adam just started laughing and then he walked away. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I have to do this. Uh-huh. This is a friend and he wants me to play his game. And I'm going to embarrass myself in front of one of the most brilliant designers that I'm even aware of. Yeah. And I didn't do that bad. I actually solved some of the stuff, but like that was, gosh, 2014 or 2015 or something. And it's still like that deep rooted anxiety it's <laughs> like yeah. i can still feel it yeah. right now uh-huh. like please never make me play one of his games in front of him ever again yeah that's funny. please that's funny so uh so when did you guys get into to making games was was that something adam always wanted to do always okay like he wanted to make games when i met him yeah um and he always he sort of says he's like i picked up you know mario at six and that's all i've ever wanted to do is make video games um that's cool so like he went to school for like programming and whatever so like he had a backup yeah um but he really got into making games like really really making games when we sort of or he came across flash Mm -hmm. but 
I was doing something different at this point. It was just sort of like, yeah, whatever, Adam, you have a normal software development job and this is what you want to do, but how are we going to do it? Because I'm not, this is like sort of EA wife days and stuff. Like I'm never going to tolerate these hours. Right. I'm not doing crunch. I'm not living in LA. Mm-hmm. So we got to figure out a way to make this work yeah. where like you feel creatively fulfilled, but I am not a single wife Yeah. <laughs> sitting at home. That seems like sensible. this isn't. Yeah, this isn't the lifestyle we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, I was in yeah. It's a interesting to think back to that era because I mean there weren't a ton of options back then, and so also there weren't really people who tested yet uh, had tested the independent model. I mean that didn't that wasn't really it, a thing. And no, like back in two thousand, like when we graduated, the independent model just didn't exist. Right. Yeah, like Wolf Story came out. Like we were, we already had graduated and lived in Austin. Uh huh. Like that, because we were in our first apartment you said in Austin. Cave story? And, yeah, 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 yeah. And y'all worked on that. That's some, when, right? Or um, we or? worked on the Adam did the upres. Okay. When it came to something, what did it come to? I don't even remember. He did all the environmental art upresing on it, but not on the original. Okay, yeah. He played the original. Yeah. It changed his life, and then when um, uh, I think it's Tyrone who runs Nicholas. Mm-hmm. They did the, they published the version. It must have come to console at some point. Right. I think that must be what I'm thinking of. Um, the up-res version of it, um, Adam did, yeah, all the art. Okay, nice. For that. Very cool. He was a pixel artist and he's just like, this cannot look bad. This game changed <laughs> yeah. my life. I will do it for whatever pay you have. Yeah. But this can't look bad. That's cool. Um, so yeah, that was, we were living in our our house and we were married when he did that. Mm-hmm. And I still, at that point, wasn't actually in games. I might have been doing finances at that point. Because um, this is like probably 2008, 2009-ish. Yeah. And like, I quit my real job in 2009. Okay. But then even then, only really made sure that we paid our taxes properly mm-hmm. and handled our health insurance. Yeah. Is um, this this is prior to like Cannabalt? Cannabalt came out in 2009. Okay. So kind of in conjunction. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, yeah, gosh. And that no, was, I may, have, I may have quit my job actually in 2008. Yeah. And then Cannibal came out in 2009. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause I went to my first GDC in 2009. Okay, cool. What was that like, uh, releasing that game for you guys? Because I feel like that's sort of a kind of, that a, was weird. Yeah. Like a <laughs> seminal mobile game for a lot of people. One of the first mobile games that felt like, um, felt like it was really thoughtfully designed, uh, and I think, you know, I think it's still a game that a lot of people think, look back on as sort of um, changing things for, it did for me anyway, it changed how I thought about mobile games. Um, well, it was the first, one of the first things that was released that thought about the form factor. Mm-hmm. Like, the games before that were sort of putting D-pads, like, on the screen, like, that was the only way you would right. thought about the controls. Mm-hmm. Um, so Adam didn't design it for mobile. He designed it for the minimalist. There was, gosh, I think it was Petri. Petri and Kyle Gabler did this thing. I can't remember what it's called at this point. But the theme for the game jam before most people did game jams was minimalism. And you had like a week to make a game. So Adam had been thinking about this cannibal thing. We didn't have a name for it really. But he had been thinking about this thing that he wanted to make for quite a while. um, But had no reason to make it. Um, and then this minimalism thing 
came up and he's like, I'm going to make this thing that I've been thinking about for a long time about what if you're playing Mario and all you do is jump. Yeah. And he had played um, Mirror's Edge earlier that summer and just got really angry. Oh, oh yeah. Uh-huh. Because it didn't feel like what he wanted to of just being mm-hmm. like freely sh- like screeching as fast as he could across rooftops. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like he was a pixel artist and like that's where this came out of. Um, so I was actually gone for a huge portion of the development of Cannibal, like the actual development of that week. I was in Colorado at my best friend from high school's wedding. Okay. Yeah. Um, and just sort of talking to Adam about this and he had gone to, um, it had overlapped TIG Jam, not TIG Jam, maybe TIG Jam. It was the game jam sort of thing that took place in Phoenix. Okay. Um, that went on for a couple of years at Flashbang, their old studio. So he had gone there where he was sort of working with, um, just sort of chatting with other game developers, which is kind of where the boxes came from right. on the rooftops. Like the slowdown uh, mechanic came from like a conversation Adam was having with um, Steve Swink. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came home on like a Monday, which might possibly have been very close to Labor Day because it was the end of August. And Adam's like, I just put this thing up online. You should play it. Um, and then we had, because we had Danny's music on it, um, we didn't have enough bandwidth and blew through all of our like server bandwidth uh-huh. and had like a very large bill that first month. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, we ported the game by October. Yeah. Um, we basically spent like four weeks, got it ported and got it up on the, the storefront before, cause we knew somebody would clone it and mm-hmm. get it out before we could. So like, and we may have even done it in three weeks. Yeah. It was really really fast and we got it out but we did a bunch of things with it like one it was it came out actually on october 2nd i'll i know that date because that's when we were going to the grand canyon yeah um but it did a bunch of cool things and the big thing was we had i mean aside that it had already gone viral as a flash game there was that twitter hook where we used to you would play it and then it would auto tweet how far you went yeah that's cool um and this was was before (laughs) Twitter did like nobody did Twitter integration like that. So it was everybody on your feed was like virally tweeting how far they had run with a link to the game. Mm -hmm. And it would also link to the app store. So if you played it on the flash game, like it would link to the game and where you could buy it on the app store. Like, so yeah, I remember uh, coming back to me now. I remember seeing some of that. It's like seeing, trying to beat some of my friends scores and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, we were driving out to Arizona when we launched it on iOS and we were going into the Grand Canyon for like eight days. So we were going to be without all technology. So we were watching it chart anytime we had cell service on this like road trip from Austin to Phoenix. Yeah. Um, wondering if we had managed to figure out how the chart system worked because it was so early with like the, the storefront. It doesn't yeah. work necessarily like this anymore, but we were pretty sure we figured out how it worked. And if we could just chart, we would be able to sustain our momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we needed someone to do our viral marketing for us, which was this sort of Twitter mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it had already gone viral, like flash wise. Right. Um, so yeah, it was super weird. And then we went into the grand Canyon. We had no idea how it worked, <laughs> how it went yeah. for eight days. 
And then we came out and I remember like getting our phones and like booting them back up and be like, oh, good. Our, it worked. <laughs> People still like we it. We charted. Yeah. Awesome. People like it. It sold copies and we got out there first. Yeah. So, yeah. And now it's in a museum, right? It is in a museum, like the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, a museum. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's not an insignificant museum, I feel like. Yeah, no, it was a weird, that was a weird email to get Yeah, years and years ago. It's not on display now, but it was for a long time. Okay. Um, it's in their archived collection now okay. or whatever. I, right. I'm not 100% sure how that works. Yeah, they have this like cool multimedia collection. Yeah. Um, but if they ever wanted to put it on display again, they just can. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's cool. So That's really neat. And so that kind of launched, I guess that was the start of Finji, really, right? Yeah, sort of. Um, like we used to run two separate companies back then. Mm -hmm. So there was the, there was the iPhone company, which Adam and a different business partner ran, but because it's Texas, technically I owned a quarter of it and this other guy's wife owned a quarter of it. Cause everything's communal property. Yeah. Like the laws there are kind of weird. Right. Um, but basically it was just like Adam and this other person. And then Adam and I ran a, um, sort of advertising company where we did turnkey, games for advertising okay. clients and we started doing that in 2006 um and that's where we ran all of his sort of like contract art uh stuff so he like we did um old pixel art for cell phone games like this is before i was in games i had a real job at yeah. this point but what was your real job um, um so i started out in pr like public relations but i ended up at a software company where i was like a glorified technical secretary okay i shipped stuff yeah but then i taught myself tech writing because I had so much downtime and their tech writer went on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. So I just learned all the software and started updating all the manuals. There you go. So they created a job for me. So I documented everything in there to where I knew kind of more about the software and how it worked than most of the devs mm -hmm. because it was so, there was, it was so bloated and had all this legacy stuff in it. Yeah. But then because of that, because I learned so much about it, I became a product manager there, even though I had no engineering background mm -hmm. So I was this weird, like half marketing, half figuring out what dev features they needed to make to stay relevant. Um, and I worked like on the strategic management team with the CEO. And then I got out of that when, because I just wasn't super happy um, kind of in that industry. It was like the photography software industry um, when Adam basically bought me six months to job hunt. Okay. And then he kept buying more months with his like iOS work. And then Cannibal came out like a year later mm -hmm. and then it kind of bought me two years. Yeah. Nice. And by the end of the two years, I was like, Oh, this is 2010. I'm doing just all the finances and stuff for these, the, um, both of the companies mm -hmm. that we were running. So we rebranded to Finji in 2014 after we bought out our old iOS business partner. And then I merged both of those companies together. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I got rid of semi-secret software. I got actually got rid of Last Chance Media as well, which was what the old company was called. And we rebranded as Finji. Okay. All under sort of one company. Nice. That's cool. That sucks, by the way. That's an awful process. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> Everything about that is awful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, there we are, you know, usually I ask about your like upbringing and we get into like religious background, all that kind of stuff. But I realized we've, to talk for an hour now and I don't want to uh, take up too much of your time so maybe we'll have to have you on again to talk about that kind of stuff but uh I did want like uh, I'm curious 
um, because I feel like you guys make an effort to make and publish really thoughtful games. Like Night in the Woods, you know, you and I talked about this at Pack South, but it's like just this really lovely game that's really, um, I don't know, I think it's universally loved and has a really um, positive message, I think, for a lot of people. Like a lot of people play it and feel affirmed in a way that I think few other games uh, do for people. And I think just, you know, all the games you're trying to put out, um, you know, I think are are unique and have a, a, a nice, um, I don't know, it just feels like you're making meaningful games. Um, and so I read, I was, I was digging around on your website and I read this birthday letter that you guys put out on your website. It was today. Happy birthday, Finji. Yeah, that's right. So it's, uh, I guess it's your birthday today or your, your company's birthday, which is cool. But, uh, you know, you guys talked about how there's a lot of things that you really don't like about the industry. And so kind of as we close out here, I was just curious, uh, what are some of those things that's that are frustrating you about your about the industry, about the video games industry today? And, and what are you guys doing that's, I mean, what, what keeps you going from letting those things that are frustrating about it, like, keep you from doing the work that you Yeah, so it's like the elephant in the room is like, we announced in 2014, and in August 2014, like, Gamergate happened. Right. Yeah. Like, and that was, you know, obviously we like pulled up the corner and we're like, oh God, something's rotting in here. Like yep. we had ignored sort of the toxicity and the crunch culture and like all mm-hmm. of this stuff that's sort of part of video games for so long because we're kind of outside of it. And then the 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 letter that you're referring to is the one that Adam wrote that. Okay. But yeah, I assumed, but the, I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah. So the question kind of like the the letter is Adam's kind of answer to that. But my answer to kind of like the challenges in the industry is like you see after being after being in games now kind of unofficially and officially for like literally 12 years or something yeah um you have seen so many people be kind of churned up yeah mm-hmm. and spit out on the other side yep. um and we shout a lot about being sustainable like we want to run a sustainable business we want to make sure that our people can keep creating things mm-hmm. if they want to do that Um, and that is the frustrating thing for me, um, because at the bottom of sustainability, like if you look at sustainability as like a principle of running something, it's not just, do I have money to buy food and pay rent? It's, are my people healthy? And are my people healthy is, are they being harassed online? Sure. Like, are they getting rape and death threats? Can Mm. they buy healthcare? Like, there's all these things that sort of come with working in games that like, you know, when I meet up with young women developers from all over the world, these are the conversations that I have over and over again. Like Mm -hmm. even like last week, there's like this, what do you do when you get creeped on at a party at GDC? And then in my brain, I was like, well, I wear a uniform and I make myself six foot one because I wear wedge heels and I don't wear floral and I don't show cleavage. And I'm just like, why is this a thing? Mm -hmm. Like why in the world do I have all of these crazy constraints as a 38 year old woman right to go to an industry event mm. and like that's sort of like the frustrating part of all of this like devs if devs are underpaid considering the kinds of skills that they have right like games are super crazy expensive to make mm-hmm. because you are literally employing engineers right like <laughs> engineers are so expensive mm-hmm. uh, these are scientists 
you have scientists building right. games and the pay for them is insane and the hours are crazy. Mm-hmm. And they often have to leave in order to have any sort of meaningful family relationship um, right. because they can get a job making crazy good six figures doing security software for banks or whatever. Right. Yeah. So like, and then, you know, we have to have these online lives, especially when you're in the indie space. And that just opens you up to so much more like public vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, like I literally make games, video games, the kind, like yeah. I am having a one-to-one empathetic connection with my end player. Right. And maybe, maybe they're having a good time, hopefully. Right. And if I can take it one step farther, we've had sort of like the night in the woods experience where people are like, it feels like you have been to my town mm-hmm. and you met my mom. Yeah. And I finished the game and I called my mom. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And like some mm-hmm. people interacted with it on that level. And some people are like, yeah, that was awesome. That was really funny. And it isn't universally loved. There are some people who tremendously hate the game. Sure. Um, and that's totally fair. It's totally valid. Yeah. Um, but like at the end of the day, like we get to make beautiful things mm. or that people can either hate or love. Who cares? It's a game. But like why all the other trash and why the other baggage? Why mm. do we have so much stupid drama that goes along with it when it's like, can we just make pretty things? Can we help make pretty things yeah. exist? And if it's not your cup of tea, walk away. Right. Like there's a lot of movies I don't watch. There's a lot of books I don't read. There's a lot of activities that I don't enjoy and I don't have to. Like I don't want to go downhill skiing mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> yeah. I don't I, – the sure. risk of blowing out my knee is terrifying. Uh-huh. I don't want to do it. I never will. Just like there's so many other games that I won't play because I'm not interested. But that doesn't mean I got to yell about them. Right, yeah, yeah. It's not my cup of tea. Yeah, it's a so, big industry nowadays and it's a lot more diverse and than it used to be. there's so many – players the player base is literally the human population Mm -hmm. on earth and the fact that like the idea that some things can't exist because they talk about emotions or they're pretty or they happen to be pink colored or Mm -hmm. or whatever that they're somehow less it's like no man it's just not your cup of tea right it's cool it's cool go play the thing that's being made for you Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of other people out here that want to play something different and that's fine right so like i don't know that's like the one thing where it's like we've been in the industry for so long and i would love for the people making games to both be hobbyists and professionals Mm -hmm. i want there to be room in the industry for people to be able to create in a safe way yeah and i would love for there to be an acknowledgement that the things that we create are really really expensive they're not movies They are so much more expensive than movies to mm. make yeah. because just of the quantity of people on multiple continents bringing in engineering salaries mm-hmm. and they have to take three to five years because they're so big. Right. Um, and like that sort of like education and acknowledgement mm. is just sort of necessary to understand our medium. Yeah. Yeah. And I was curious to, like, as you we were talking I was curious if you had, like, what you would say to somebody who... Because I think we have a lot of kind of lay people type gamers. We have a lot of developers that listen to this show, too. But a lot of people that listen... Like, one of our big things with Love Thy Nerd is that we want to... um, Like, we want to love and serve our nerdy neighbors. So we want to be a force of good in this industry. Um, 
And I think some of the people who listened to it like vibe with that too and want, want to make this space better. And so as someone who's like connected and cares about that, I was curious if you have like, what would you say to somebody who says, I want to, I want to try to make this, I know there's like a lot of toxicity here and I want to be a, I want to be a source of change and growth in this, in this space. In so many ways, it's about positive critique and that's not, you're not positively saying great things. Like it's being a, when you positively critique something, it's, you are able to sort of identify the problematic things with a work of art or a project or whatever you want to call this Mm -hmm. and think through the reasons why decisions were made, right? which you might be totally off base, but to fall back on this bug is here because somebody's lazy or they're just money grubbing or they're just like, there's all these things that are kind of like tossed around. Sure, It's like, well, no, like these are very big complex projects with a lot of moving parts and it, there might be a budgetary problem or we just might've missed it. Like there's a, bunch of things that are kind of going on all at once and to be able like as a consumer to be able to approach a project or something that you love and play it and even though you know you hate you know the camera or whatever to be able to see like this is also like this is problematic and this is why it's problematic for me Mm -hmm. but these things are kind of cool for me and to understand that for me doesn't like mean that external to you right like that that matters sure like that's a conversation piece when i talk about movies and the things that i love i'm talking about them because of how i love them right and if you don't like them that's cool like i love the spice girls i am very aware (laughs) that literally no one else does and if i find that one fan i am so excited nice (laughs) but like I completely understand that the person across the table from me is making a judgment call on my idiocy. Mm-hmm. And like, I would love to be able to see sort of like the ability to talk about games in that same way Yeah, where you can be like, man, that's total trash. And somebody being like, yeah, I know, but I like it. And being like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And like, awesome. Like, why can't that be your attitude? Like, yeah. Yeah, I hate the Marvel movies for the most part. <laughs> Everyone loves them. Yeah. I literally cannot stand them. They're so boring. <laughs> but I will so totally have a conversation with about you about them. And I'm not going to be like, man, you suck because you like that movie. It's yeah. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. cool. You should see the trash I watch. <laughs> yeah, we need to work like as a culture on like learning how to, um, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Like uh, see the best. Like, in video e- games. Yeah, video games feel like they're just so wrapped up in identity, more mm-hmm. so than almost any other art form. Um, and I find that odd because, like, I even in like YA literature, like, you know, which teenage girls and ladies in their like twenties, thirties, forties, like, we consume this a lot of it. Um, there's it doesn't feel like there's such an uproar that oh, well, you like YA that like there's the sort of derision or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't feel so polarizing yeah but like man you don't like a, a meta game or a tech tree or something in like a video game and it's like whoa did i just <laughs> yeah. what did i do i swear i was just talking about like this crappy format that's on this tv that's completely unreadable from my couch uh-huh. but 
I mean, that's not a value judgment on like the devs. It's just like, we missed something here right. in user testing, Yeah, yeah. which is fine and valid. Or maybe I'm not their user, mm-hmm. which is likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an audience out there for most games and um, we need to learn to, to uh, like if it's not you, that's totally fine. <laughs> you know? You yeah, just... well, in, and you can, you can criticize something. Sure, yeah. Um, but assume like criticizing in a way criticizing is not attacking right yeah um or campaigning or Mm -hmm. any of these other things that sort of come along with video games like criticizing is just like this is why i don't like something and this is why yeah i see that x y and z are good yeah when done well like when when done well criticism is an act of love yeah and acknowledging that it's possible that you just don't understand sure yeah why certain decisions were made Mm -hmm. and that is valid because that's offering a conversation and even a conversation with me the developer Mm -hmm. because i'd be like oh man this is a really good i'm going to jump in on this because i we have a common ground here and now we can learn from each other yeah yeah and that's super cool Mm -hmm. but i feel like we've gone so far on the opposite that it's like even hard to have those conversations anymore yeah yeah um and so many people like like grew up with games and so they, like a lot of the people who are the biggest fans of them, I think, see themselves as like experts. And so... Yeah. And it doesn't help too that we're, we have to be so secretive mm-hmm. um, because we're often behind like NDAs or yeah. we're holding right. announcements yep. or whatever. Like my, my whole job is a secret. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like uh-huh. I can't talk about anything. People are like, let's interview you on a day. De- I'm like, I can't talk about anything I do except in the abstract. Yeah. Um, and like that can feel like we're trying to keep out the public, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's kind of like, it's just necessary, right. like, because there's so much money mm-hmm. and we're tiny, yeah. but for the bigger companies, there's so much money on the line that you have to keep all these secrets. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's really a, a, the whole thing's like a perfect recipe for, um, misunderstanding on both ends, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, so, I mean, like doing this podcast is honestly, um, over the years and just having the chance to go to GDC and things like that and like actually sit down and talk and have like real human conversations with game designers, not just where I'm like, tell me about your game and like how many guns are in it and stuff, but like real, um, like tell me about your process and tell me about you and tell me about you as a human being has totally changed like how I think about games and how I think about them when I play them. Um, and I think it's really hard. I, I, that's like a super rare experience you know, for someone. Yeah. We're all, we're all normal people. Like I know a lot of game developers. I have to sometimes watch myself when I'm like at an event and I'm talking about friends and like, I'll say a name and I'm like, that's an odd name to say out loud because that's a famous person to this person. Right. But to me, it's just this person I've known Mm -hmm. since I was like 28 for the last decade and they've stayed at my house. But that's just because they just, they're just a weird person who makes stuff too. Yeah, for sure. Um, And like, that's my privilege because this is my space that I interact in. But I would love, like, I mean, it's a big thing for us. I mean, you come to my PAX booth and we're just kind of all there yeah, um, all the time. And we're like, yeah, come into our space. I'll talk to you about literally whatever you want for the next like 30 minutes. I'm stuck here all day. But I know a lot of devs are like really, they can get really uncomfortable with that. Um, one, because we're kind of insular anyways. A lot of us are really shy. Um, but the sort of history of like, kind of being attacked Mm -hmm. also is just like, I just can't do this. Somebody's going to like, 
this is going to go wrong. And then I'm going to have to deal with that online. And this is terrifying. I can't do this. Um, Mm -hmm. Which, and that's kind of across the board, but like even the larger companies kind of like, well, we can only have the people who are allowed to talk to the public, be out there, stick to the talking points. Don't stray from this. Um, And yeah, it's just, it makes it hard because that's why there's always this like, oh, well, you're just in marketing. Um, And you sort of get that statement a lot. Mm -hmm. It's like, which I get it, yeah. which is one of my favorite things that come to my booth. Well, I know you're just in marketing and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's like, no, I'm actually doing like pretty much everything. Like it's all in the line yeah, here. Like, yeah. Like the, it lives in my house, yeah. like literally in my mm-hmm. house. Um, so yeah, like I, I understand the disconnect, but I don't understand the toxicity, but that's, it's just not in my personality mm-hmm. um, to respond to anything that way right. ever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, it's my hope, at least that conversations like this help, uh, make a, make a dent or not a dent. That's the wrong word. Make a contribution to help people get, you know, get a little bit more understanding and like see people who yeah. make the games as, uh, as human beings and, and as people like it's as people who are working really hard and wearing a lot of hats and like, um, putting a lot of intentionality into the beautiful mm-hmm. things they're trying to make. So it was great talking yeah. to you, Becca. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, we'll have to have... Sorry it took us three weeks to, like, reschedule it after, like, all the trash weather we had. Well, uh, I totally <laughs> understand because it sounds like it's been kind of rough there. So I hope uh, I hope you thaw out before too long here and uh, get a little bit more peace of mind uh, there. I'm just leaving. Oh, that's good. <laughs> GDC is yeah, this month. Yeah, that's right. We're, yeah. I'm just disappearing yeah. from the the snowscape yeah it should be a little bit warmer a good bit warmer i would imagine in san francisco so hope you enjoy Mm -hmm. that yeah well cool well uh say hi to adam for me and we'll have to i I know i mentioned this to you before we'll have to have you you guys both on we could do like a a podcast on what it's like to be married and making games together or something like that that could be fun (laughs) so we could talk about that forever yeah yeah i bet cool well uh so you guys um Tell me what you guys got coming up uh, real quick. Yeah, of course. Um, So um, I've got a couple of games going out this year. So I've got Wilmot's Warehouse and Overland that both have a 2019 launch. And you can find out about those on our website, which is www.fingy.co. And then also I've got um, a bunch of travel and events and stuff that we're going to be at. So the one that developers can high five me as I run down the street late for meetings is the Game Developers Conference, yeah. which is coming up in San Francisco. I'm also going to be on Train Jam because I help out with the mentorship program there. Oh, cool. Um, and then, yeah, for consumers, I will have um, my team minus most developers actually at PAX East. Okay. Um, because we're launching so much stuff this year, yeah. a lot of our devs are like, I'm at GDC and then they're flying home. But I'll have um, kind of all of more of the biz dev and marketing side of Finji, mm-hmm. plus our amazing array of volunteers who just work my booth with me. Um, they're not volunteers, they're paid, but they'll be at PAX East. Okay. And Great. then, yeah, we'll probably be at E3. Cool. Usually we are. Yeah. And then a bunch of stuff in late fall. Nice. And uh, Tunic, I think, is scheduled for next year. Is that right? Totally not this year. Yeah, totally not this year. Okay, cool. Yeah, I hopefully the Steam page doesn't say 2019 anymore. <laughs> I didn't even keep, look, so I couldn't tell we, it. it used to say it, and every time I come home for an event, people are like, "It's." Or every time I go to an event, they're like, "It says it." And I'm like, "We need to change that." Yeah. And then by the time I get home, I forget. 
because it's just in development. Right. Yeah. So it's funny for real quick. Overland used to say when the world ends <laughs> as our launch day yeah. on Steam, which that it, for development, that is always like, yeah, when the world ends, this game will come yeah, out. Yeah, that's funny. But that's just me being an idiot yeah, right yeah. now. That's not true. Oh, and if uh, for our listeners out there, if they want to learn more about Overland, um, go listen to the Humans of Gaming uh, episode. I think it's the first episode. I think it's the first interview of uh, of the PAX South uh, interviews that I did. So um, you can go listen oh, to that, nice. that episode of this Good podcast. Heavens. Yeah, and you can learn more about That was a long time ago. Yeah, just like a few months ago, really. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was that long? Yeah. I was like, wait. I was like, PAX South oh okay no that makes sense i was like what are you talking about packs if adam was at a pack south that was years no, ago no no the episode i did Got with it. adam that was a long time ago but uh but yeah no you and i chatted briefly at pax yes. and we put that in uh in that episode so yes you can go check that one i out. do remember yeah. that that was feels like a lifetime ago yeah yeah it was <laughs> it well it wasn't but it feels like it. i get that yeah. uh so anyway um and then you're on twitter Yep, I am on Twitter. I am B E X Saltzman S A L T S M A N, and that's where I post about dumb conversations with my kids, cool. dogs, and uh, random trash that comes out of my brain. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and you can find Finji on Twitter and Overland on Twitter as well. Just Finji yep. Co. We're all there, yeah, and then Overland Game on Twitter as well. Yep. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Drew Dixon eighty two. You can follow Love Thy Nerd on all the social medias. Just search for at Love Thy Nerd. And you go on Facebook, you're going to want to look for Love Thy Nerd and like our page. And then also check out Love Thy Nerd community on Facebook if you want to be a part of a really fun and loving community of nerds on Facebook. Uh, it's a great place. Go, go check that out. Um, we have a whole network of podcasts. So we have The Pull List, which is a comic book podcast. We also have Free Play, which is a general nerd culture podcast that's really fun to listen to. So go check those out. Uh, it would help us a ton if you rate and review us on iTunes. Um, it would help a ton if you would spread the word about these these podcasts that we do uh, on the internet. So wherever you inhabit on the internet, tell people about this podcast. Tell people why you like it. That would help us a ton. Um, and I think that's it for us. So thanks again, Becca. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you.